0: Well, good morning, Gospel Hope. It is good to be back with you once again, and I'm excited to open up the book of Exodus. Last week, uh, if you were here with us, you know Rod walked us through nine of the ten plagues. And so today, we're going to close out these plagues by looking at the most important of them all, the Passover. So I just pray that God is going to meet with us. Now, let me share something here today. Um... Because the Passover is one of the most significant events in all of the biblical narrative, we are going to be like trekking through the whole Bible here today. So get your theological thinking caps on and get your Bibles ready. We're going to be flying through tons of scripture today. So I hope you will buckle up and hang in there with me, and I promise it will get good at the end. Okay, so are you ready with me? All right, let's pray. And one more time, ask for the Lord's help. Lord, we need you. We've sung it, we're confessing it, and we just ask right now in these next few moments you would draw near to your people, oh God, we need to be stirred up. We need to freshly see the wonder of what Christ has done for us, and I pray that you would help me as I preach this morning to hide behind the cross of Jesus and exalt the name of your Son. Lord, speak to your people today. Open our eyes that we may behold wondrous things from your law. In the precious name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, I'm going to start out today with a little bit of a quiz to just see how smart you folks are. And I think you're going to do pretty well. Um, The title of the message today is The Great Symbol." So if you look up on the screen with me here, I have a a couple of symbols for your edification to see if you know what they are. Who can tell me what this one is? Recycling. Very good. Let's get the next one. Oh, what's this one? Gatorade. I was like, that's a ladybug. Gatorade. Okay, not bad. Very good. What's another one? What does this one represent? Love, love. You, you know our hearts don't look like that at all. Like they're not shaped in that way at all. Love, okay, very good. What else we got? What's this one? Music, Music okay. This one? Handicap. And what's this one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not going to preach on that, okay. All right, right. The The idea is simply this, that that symbols... Symbols can communicate things. And the reason that I mention this today, because in our passage, we are introduced to one of the greatest symbols in the entire scripture. So we're going to wait for the Carver basketball team to come on down here. Come on, guys. Welcome, fellas. Welcome, fellas. Yeah. You're like, why are all these tall guys coming in? Yeah. Okay. Good to have you brothers with us today. All right, they can edit this on the audio, right? That's your guys' fault, right? (laughs) The dictionary defines a symbol as something used for or regarded as representing something else. So instead of writing out 3.14159265359, we write pi. Very good. I mention this because this passage today, Exodus chapter 11 and chapter 12, brings forward what I would call probably the greatest symbol or sign in the entire Bible. Namely, the Passover. You see, the Bible, like any other grand sweeping epic, has a climactic event. But it wasn't until after Jesus rose from the dead, roughly, you know, if you were looking in the Bible here, roughly three quarters of the way through, that we really understood what that climactic event was. And it was the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ on behalf of sinners. In fact, not even Jesus' disciples understood at the time what a big deal it was. So after Jesus rose from the dead, he's walking on the road to Emmaus with two of his disciples. And he explains to them, listen guys, the whole Bible is actually about me. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 24. And he said to them, this is Jesus speaking, Oh, foolish ones, and slow to heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Now, catch this phrase here. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. In other words, Jesus is saying to his disciples, guys, you didn't read your Bibles very well. Because if you would have read your Bibles, your Old Testament, very carefully... Even though my name was never mentioned in the Old Testament, that whole thing is actually about me. The whole thing. And he says, from Moses and all the prophets. That's what Jesus' way of referring to the Old Testament. So if we're reading the Old Testament right, we ultimately see that the Old Testament is pointing to whom? Jesus is pointing to? to Be a little more enthusiastic. I'll feel better about myself. Is pointing to? man, you guys are really sharp. That's really good. But the Lord, being the master author that he is, even though Jesus' name never appears in the Old Testament, he foreshadows what Jesus would do time and time again. So the manna that fell from the sky or appeared on the ground in the wilderness was a picture that Christ would one day be the bread of life that would actually satisfy The tabernacle structure where God lived among his people was a sign or a symbol that one day God would come to walk among his people in the person of Jesus. Even the Sabbath day was a picture of Jesus that the work that he would one day do on behalf of his people would bring his people rest. But perhaps nowhere is the work of Jesus more foreshadowed or more clearly seen than in the Passover feast. So what I want to talk about today, here's where I'm going. I'm just going to tell you straight up. Here's my point. We must see Jesus as our Passover. We must see Jesus as our Passover. Just as God delivered the nation of Israel through the Passover, so God will deliver you today through the work of Jesus. My hope is this morning is that all of us would become freshly aware of what Jesus accomplished for those who would trust in him. But at least in my mind, that raises a couple of questions. First, what was the Passover all about? I mean, really, what happened there? And second, how does this get us to Jesus? Well, we'll attempt in the next few minutes to tackle both of those. So you ready? I told you we're going to go fast and a lot of Bibles. So you ready for this? Okay, so here's the heading. The message of the original Passover. Number one, God is sovereign over his enemies. The first thing that we learn from the Passover is that the Lord is indomitable. I just wanted to work that into my notes because I like saying it. That is, he simply cannot be defeated, discouraged, or deterred. If you've been following with us the last several weeks, you know that in the Exodus story, Pharaoh is the chief antagonist. Or to put it even more simply, he's the bad guy, all right? The bad guy in the story is Pharaoh, and time after time, he stubbornly refuses to listen to Moses' request and would not let the people go, even after the Lord sent nine plagues. I mean, these devastating plagues on the nation of Egypt, and Pharaoh's kind of got his arm folded, and he's like, I will not let your people go. Now, at first glance, it might seem like the Lord was frustrated by Pharaoh's persistent hard-heartedness. But actually, if you look closely at the text, this couldn't be further from the truth. Exodus chapter 11, verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. And after that, he will let you go from here. In other words, the Lord knew exactly what he was doing. He was like, no, I got to get through all 10 plagues before you go. And when I get to the 10th one, Pharaoh will let you go. Then skip down to verse 9. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will not listen to you so that my wonders may be multiplied in the land of Egypt. Moses and Aaron did all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go out of his lands. In other words, not only did the Lord know exactly when Pharaoh would relent, but he takes credit for the delay. God says... I had to get through all of these plagues, and I know when he's going to let me go. Here's the idea. God is unfrustratable because God is invincible. How many of you have ever said, I'm frustrated before? How many many of you, those words have passed from your mouth? If you don't have your hand up, you're a liar. (laughs) I'm frustrated. What does frustrated mean? It means like things aren't working out the way that I want them to work out, essentially, is what we're saying. You know what? God is utterly unacquainted with frustration. He just doesn't even know what that's like. Because God always accomplishes his purpose. And even though things didn't look like they were going according to plan, they were working out just the way God wanted them to. To. Just look at the text. I mean, Pharaoh is absolutely raging against the Lord. Exodus 5, verse 2, I will not let Israel go. Exodus 8, verse 32, but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. Chapter 9, verse 7, but Pharaoh's heart was hard and he did not let the people go. Verse nine thirty-five. so Pharaoh's heart was hard. And he did not let the Israelites go. Chapter 10, verse 20. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he did not let the Israelites go. Verse 27 of chapter 10. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And he was unwilling to let them go. And then God said, enough. You're done. And he sends the final and most terrible of all the plagues on Egypt. Verse number 4 of chapter 11. About midnight... I will go throughout Egypt and every firstborn male in the land of Egypt will die from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn of the servant girl who is at the grindstone as well as every firstborn of the livestock. Then there will be a great cry of anguish through all the land of Egypt, such as never has been heard or ever will be again. So he brings the death of the firstborn on Egypt. And this raging enemy of God, I will not let them go whimpers when it's all over. Verse number, chapter 12, verse 31, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron during the night and said, get out immediately from among my people, both you and the Israelites, and go and worship the Lord of you, has said, take even your flocks and your herd as you ask to leave, and also, look, he's broken, also, bless me, this person who seemed like they were in control, God says, you're not in control. I am sovereign over my enemies. Listen, though God can be opposed, he cannot be overcome. People can rage against God all they wish, but God will not be overcome. This was true in the days of Exodus, and it remains true today. You may look out at your life, and it may seem like the Lord is losing. You ever feel that way? You ever look at your life and you think, man, it looks like God is not getting the W here. Let me assure you, that is only a temporary situation. We must not forget who the Lord we serve is. Psalm 115, verse 3. Our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. Romans 16, verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And sorry, Daniel chapter 4, verse 35, all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing, and he does what he wants with the armies of heaven and the inhabitants of earth. There is no one who can block his hand or say to him, what have you done? To put it plainly, in the words of that great theologian, all God does is win, 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 no matter what. He never loses. He cannot be defeated. Remember, this has profound implications for your life because it means that even when evil men hold positions of power, that ever happen? Even when darkness seems to be advancing on all fronts, even when injustice is nipping at your heels on every side, And even when hope seems just completely out of reach, the Lord has not lost control. He's not asleep at the wheel. He has not forgotten you. And I don't know what the brokenness that you bring into this room this morning, but I know it is varied and many. Listen to me. The Lord is sovereign over his enemies. It may look like he is losing, but he never comes out behind in the end. He is the undisputed, undefeated ruler of the world. And not only does he have a perfect track record, but he has told us what the final score will be. And friends, it's not even close. We must not allow the difficulty of our circumstances to cause us to doubt the sovereignty of our God. Let me say that again. We must not allow the difficulty of our circumstances to cause us to doubt the sovereignty of our God. Your life may be hard. Listen, friends, God is still in control. He is still going to come out on top. Listen, this might be the sweetest revelation in all of the Bible. It is simply this. Friends, If you have trusted in Jesus, in the end, God wins. God wins, and that matters. It makes all the difference. He is not a lovable loser. He's not somebody who tries hard but doesn't come out on top on the end. He is not somebody to just, you know, he's always second best. No, he wins. The arc of human history is heading toward the victory of our God. He is absolutely sovereign over his enemies. The Passover tells us something else. Number two, God is gracious to his people. (laughs) Huh. We see that God is invincible, but we also see that the Lord is full of grace. As the devastating 10th plague was falling on Egypt, in that very moment, death, God was keeping his people safe. Look at verse number 6 of chapter 11. Then there will be a great cry of anguish through all the land of Egypt, such as never was before or ever will be again. But against all the Israelites, whether people or animals, not even a dog will snarl, so that you may know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. Not even a dog will snarl was an idiom that basically meant no harm would come to God's people. So how did the Lord make this sharp contrast through the Egyptians who are losing their children and their livestock and the Israelites who are completely safe? Look at chapter 12, verse number 3. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, they must each select an animal of the flock according to their father's family. One animal per family. You must have an unblemished animal, a year-old male. You may take it from either the sheep or the goats. You are to keep it until the 14th day of the month, and then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. They must take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of their houses where they eat them. Then skip down to verse 12. I will pass through the land of Egypt that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals. I am the Lord. I will execute judgments against all the gods of Egypt. The blood on your houses where you are staying will be a distinguishing mark for you. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. When God's judgment fell, he would pass over all of those who followed his instruction. This is why we call it the Passover. But there's something extremely significant being communicated in this story. Namely, that the God of the Bible is full of grace and mercy. Even as his own wrath. Even as the wrath of God was being poured out on the land of Egypt, he himself graciously provided a way for his people to escape. And by the way, if you've read the Old Testament story and know about the Israelites, it's not because his people were particularly deserving. I mean, in just a few short chapters, God is going to take them out of Egypt. And what's the first thing they do? They start complaining. Then they get on down the road a little bit, and they have the audacity to build an idol. I mean, are you kidding me? And these are the people that God rescues. These undeserving folks are the ones God saved. Nevertheless, knowing full well what would happen, the gracious God chose to save his undeserving people. And that is not an isolated instance. That's the story of the Bible. The God of grace choosing to rescue undeserving people. God drove Adam and Eve from the garden but provided for them covering for their nakedness. God judged the world with a flood, but happened to give Noah plans for an ark. God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah and sent angels to take Lot out of it. God brought famine on the world, but gave Joseph insight into how to store up food. God raised up oppressors when his people turned to idols, then provided judges to rescue them from those same oppressors. God punished Ahab's idolatry. I'm sorry, idol worship with a drought on the land but sent ravens to feed his prophet Elijah. God eventually sent the whole lot of them into exile for their persistent disobedience and then moved the heart of a pagan king to send them back home and, by the way, pay for it. The story of the Bible is God saying, I'll be gracious to people even though they don't deserve it. I will rescue them from my own wrath. You could really write these words all over all of scripture. Lamentations 3:22 because of the Lord's faithful love we do not perish for his mercies never end. And this is good news for people like me and probably you too. Right? Because no matter how far you've fallen. I mean, do you ever just get sick of yourself? I do. I mean, just doing the same old things over and over again. Do you ever just, get, like, get sick of your own sin? No matter how ashamed you feel. Anybody broken in here? I mean, you didn't walk into church. You crawled this morning. Because you're, you've not only blown it, but you've, you've blown it the same way 10,000 times over. And you just are like, man, I'm never going to be any different. No matter how checkered your past, listen to this, his mercies endure forever. Can you say that with me? His mercies endure forever. Maybe you've blown it on the job or blown it in your marriage or blown it in your family or blown it as a parent or blown it with your coworkers and blown your testimony. Listen, listen, here's the words that need to be written over your life. Say them together. His mercy endures forever. It is for you. God's mercy is for you because the God of a Bible always makes a way out. It's as if God has a deck of cards, a whole deck of them. But the highest card in his hand, that ace of grace, as it were, is filled with mercy. And no matter what other card gets thrown down, God always has this trump card and says, Oh yeah, that's bad. Oh, yeah, that sin is deep. Oh, yeah, that brokenness is awful. But look what I got in my hand. I've got this trump card that overrides and plays over everything else. You cannot beat my grace. So, blam, let me put that down. I win the hand. God's grace is always more. Salvation from God's judgment is granted through God's mercy. Isn't that good news? Salvation from the judgment of God is granted through the mercy of that same God. God saves you. You are saved, basically, from God by God. What a wonderful, wonderful truth that we have this morning. Number three. Passover teaches us one final thing. It is this. God is faithful to his promises. Huh. Centuries earlier, the Lord had made this promise to Abraham. Genesis chapter 15, verse 18. I give this land to your offspring from the brook of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates River. Generations passed, and the descendants of Abraham continued to live as nomads. Then Abraham's family fled to Egypt to escape the famine, and God again reminded his people of this promise through Joseph. Genesis chapter 50, verse number 24. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will certainly come to your aid and bring you up out of this land and to the land that he swore to give to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But then things went south from there, they got really bad. Abraham's descendants were enslaved by the Egyptians for 400 years. That's twice the history of the United States, by the way, just to give you some perspective. 400 years, the people of Israel are enslaved. They don't have a home. They don't have this land that God promised to Abraham way back then. And then God speaks again through Moses. Moses. Exodus chapter 3, verse 16. Go and assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob has appeared to me and said, I have paid close attention to you and to what has been done for you in Egypt and I have promised you that I will bring you up out of the misery of Egypt to a land flowing with milk and honey. Here it is, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Then during the night of the tent plague, God kept his word. Verse number 30 of Exodus 12. During the night, Pharaoh got up, and he, along with all his officials and all the Egyptians, and there was a loud wailing throughout Egypt because there wasn't a house without someone dead. And he summoned Moses and Aaron during the night and said, Get out immediately from my people. Put yourself in the Israelite shoes for a moment. Just stop and imagine yourself as a descendant of Abraham. There is no question that in all this waiting, this is not like a few months, a few years. This is lifetimes of waiting. There is no doubt that during this time, some of the Israelites began to say, is God really going to come through? I mean, he said he was going to take us to our land. But man, it don't look like a land from here. We're nomads. Okay, now we're enslaved. This doesn't look like God is going to honor his promise at all. But listen, friends, the promise of God was never in doubt. It was never in question. Though the timetable was not what the Israelites thought it would be, the fact that God would fulfill his promise was never in doubt. You know that God is all-powerful, which basically means he can do everything. But there are a couple things that God says that he emphatically will not do. These limits that he puts on himself as it were. And you know what the vast majority of those limits are about? They are about his faithfulness to his promises. Listen to what Psalm 84 verse 39 says. I will not violate my covenant or change what my lips have said. In other words, I can't go back on my word. When I make a promise, I keep it. Timothy Uh, Titus 1 verse 2 the hope of eternal life that God who cannot lie promised before time began God says "I, I can't lie either I can do anything that I want but here's two things I cannot do I can't break my promise and I can't lie what that means is this here's the implication there is nothing more secure than the word of the almighty God nothing more secure this should fill us with great hope look We should treat this book almost like a checkbook. Okay, you millennials are like, what's a checkbook? (laughs) Like a debit card, okay? This thing is filled with promises, right? Hundreds upon hundreds of promises from the Almighty God. And it is as if this checkbook or this debit card is linked to the infinite account balance of God himself. And you know what God is saying to us? Write as many checks as you want out of that thing. Because my account will never run dry. And here's the implication for you. Get in here. Get in this book. Find the promises. Mind them for all they want. And cash lots of checks. Just run those things up because you can't bounce one that comes from here. It is impossible for you not to fulfill that check if it comes from the word of the Almighty God. The most secure foundation in all of the world is the word of the God who created the earth. Listen, God's past trustworthiness, the fact that he was faithful to Moses and he was faithful to Abraham and he was faithful, Faithful to all the people of God and that he has been faithful to you is a down payment on his future trustworthiness. I mean, guys, just look at his track record. For centuries, for millennium, God has not failed to keep his promise. He's not going to start now. If God has been faithful to you in the past, you can write it down. He will be faithful to you in the future. Just take those checks to the bank. He'll never run out of faithfulness. He'll never run out of trustworthiness. His promises are good as gold and even better. But as I said at the outset, the original Passover was always meant to point to something more. An even greater Passover. So if you've been taking notes, I'm going to shift gears right here. That was the message of the original Passover. What is the message of the ultimate Passover? And let me tell you in advance, they're, they're exactly the same. They are exactly the same. Number one, God is sovereign over his enemies. Through the work of Jesus... The Lord would not only triumph over an earthly ruler, but over every enemy that would dare rise its head against his people. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Now since the children have flesh and blood in common, Jesus also shared in these. So that through his death, look at this, that through his death he might destroy the one holding the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who are held in slavery all their lives by fear of death. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse number 25. For Christ must reign until he puts all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be abolished is death. For God has put everything under his feet. Pharaoh was just the beginning. God was just getting warmed up in showing his sovereignty over his enemies in the first Passover. Because when Jesus, the ultimate Passover land, came, he didn't just whoop some earthly king. He took on death, he took on hell, he took on sin, and he took on Satan himself. And Jesus rose up and became the snake crusher that he was destined to be. And beneath his feet... All his enemies tremble before him. Sin, death, and the devil himself will lie crushed beneath Jesus' feet. Listen, it was good that God was sovereign over Pharaoh, but it is better that through Jesus, even death itself will bow the knee. Number two, God is gracious to his people. Just as the Lord provided a way for his people to escape his judgment on Egypt, he provided a way for his people to escape his judgment from their sins. But this time it was not through the sacrifice of a lamb, but rather through the death of his son. First Peter chapter 1, verse 18. For you know that you were redeemed from your empty way of life, inherited from your fathers. How did that happen? How did you get redeemed? Not with perishable things like silver or gold. Not with just money. You weren't freed from sin by money. But with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of an unblemished and spotless lamb. The point is straightforward. If you trust in the sacrifice of the lamb of God, God will pass over you. No matter how undeserving Or unworthy you feel. If you apply the blood of Jesus in faith to the doorpost of your life. The wrath of God will be satisfied. And God will pass over you. You will not taste the wrath of God. You will escape it through the Passover lamb. Brothers and sisters. Look. Some of you may be in a dark place and be thinking, God can't ever forgive me. I can't ever come to God. I don't deserve his love. Here's the good news. You don't have to deserve it. Jesus deserved it in your place. And he laid down his life. So that the wrath of God that was coming fully on you, he took it on his shoulders on the cross and bore the wrath of God. Romans 8, chapter 1 says it this way. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who, who love Christ. Why? Why? Because that cup of God's wrath that was about to be poured out on you, Jesus took it in his hand and he drank it. But he just didn't take a sip. He didn't take a swallow. He gulped it down and took every last drop so that when that wrath, that cup of wrath was turned over on you, it was completely empty. There just ain't no wrath left. Jesus took the wrath of God for your sins. That's the best news in the world. We can be saved from God, through God, by God. What an amazing, amazing reality is portrayed for us in the Passover. And the final thing is simply this, God is faithful to his promises. No doubt when Moses said to the Israelites, pack your bags, we're leaving. It would have sounded too good to be true. But did God keep his promise? Yes or no? Amen. And as incredible as it seems, God will keep this promise as well. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. God keeps his promise. And he's promised if you turn to the Passover lamb if you turn to the one who lived the life you should have lived and died the death you should have died and rose victoriously in your place, you will be saved right now. No matter how dark things might seem, his deliverance is sure to come. God kept his word to the enslaved Israelites. And my friend, please, please everybody look at me right now. He will keep his word to you. Would you dare to believe it? Would you have the audacity to believe that Christ will save you and you will be snatched from Pharaoh's clutches right now? No enemy, no weapon, nothing can harm you if you will trust in the work of Jesus. Here's the thing. In the story of of Moses, the Israelites only saw a shadow or a symbol of the salvation to come. It was kind of like in that first Passover, they were in a beautifully decorated room. Think of a museum. But all the lights were out, right? And all they could see was dim outlines of these beautiful works of art all over the room. But when Christ stepped into human history, it's like God turned all the lights on. Oh, that lamb, that wasn't the lamb. I'm the lamb. That Passover, that escaping the wrath of God, that beautiful symbol, that just pointed to the salvation that I would provide for my people. So friends, here's my admonition to to you today. Look around. Look around at the beauty of Jesus. Look at what he has done for anyone who would ever dare to hope in him. Look at the redemption that he brings. Look at the forgiveness that he brings. Look at the fellowship with God that he brings who all would trust in him. Look at Jesus. And I want to conclude with just kind of three very practical points of applications. Number one, trust him. If you don't know Jesus, if you don't know Him in this way, would you right now say, I want that. I, I need that. I need to escape the wrath of God. I feel it heavy on me every day. I need to escape the wrath of God. Will you believe that the sacrifice of Jesus is enough for you? Cling to Him. And if you have trusted in Christ... Would you press deeper into that sacrifice this morning? Would you become freshly aware of what Jesus has done for you? Second, we have a very practical way to celebrate and remember. That's the word. We're going to take the Lord's table in just a moment. You know, the Passover foreshadowed what we often call the Last Supper. Where Jesus took the bread and the cup to signify the, the, the death of death. That he would die on behalf of his people And we're going to do that in just a moment Let me give you a couple of instructions First of all, if you've trusted in Jesus If you've turned away from your sins And put your hope in him We invite you to participate with us If you haven't, that's okay We're really glad you're here But this is kind of a family affair right now If you haven't trusted in Christ Man, we would love to have a conversation with you about that You can learn more about what Jesus has done And what we believe As our team comes forward here to take the elements, here's what we're going to do. There's going to be a couple stations up here and we just like you to file out quietly while the band plays and sings for us and then we'd like you to go back to your seats and if you feel comfortable would you kind of engage with some of the people around you and begin to pray and thank God for the sacrifice for Jesus. If you're not comfortable with that, that's fine. You can pray by yourself but we'd love to participate. This is, this is, it's called Communion. Because we commune with God, and we also commune with one another in this. We'd love for you to participate with us if you have trusted in Jesus. And as you're doing that, as you're reflecting on the work of Jesus, remember the wonderful sacrifice that He's made. After a few moments of prayer, I'll come back up in the front, and I'll eat us, lead us in eating and drinking together. And then I have one more point of application for us this morning. So will you stand here together? Let me pray. The band will begin singing, and you go ahead and take the elements. Lord, thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. He is our Passover lamb. And I pray we would run to him and worship him and remember him today. Thank you for what he's done. In Christ we pray. Amen.